John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 709.1T0416, certificate number 40618, left behind. The wrath of God is to be outpoured on this earth through an unleashed fury of nature, because God is warning mankind that judgment is coming, and these are... Labor pains, and the closer we get to the birth of his kingdom, more frequent and intensive we'll get until the birth of the kingdom of God. You don't need to do atmospheric noises, because there is actually a sound vet at this point that turns on a sound effect. Oh, 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 cool. Do you want this to cut? You want your, your wind noise to come before or after? I think after. Is this the noise of a, it's kind of tumbleweeds in a ghost town because very few people have been left behind? Well, that's actually not the math of the left behind. Right, books. right. The unrighteous have been left behind, which means it's it's just like a, a normal many, day. <laughs> how many saved people can there actually be in the city of Seattle? It, it wouldn't even look any different. It wouldn't, right? No, the saved people would all be tourists. Or it, it would turn out that one nice grocery store clerk who was always, you know, peppy and smiling. Right. Nice young Korean girl or something. She's suddenly gone. Would you be here? Oh, good question. Yeah, I mean, I think about that all the time in terms of you know various raptures. There are there are several raptures where you would you'd show up on Wednesday as you usually do, but there are other and you're gone. Well, I I don't I'm not sure there's any rapture where I would be gone unless there's a rapture that's called get into your Chevy Suburban and drive to Spokane. Yeah, I mean, if I come over here and your clothes were just sitting in that chair, that's just a normal Wednesday. Honestly, that's not not the rapture. But there's no Mormon rapture, is there? There's no one where you would be physically transported to heaven without without any, uh, without coming by and saying like, hey, it's it's been fun, but I've been called. Well, let's let's get into that. The, the, uh, The rapture, you know, you and I talk about the end of the world twice a week. Yes. In this, in this project speculating on on various causes but I, to my memory i don't know if we have ever talked much about the real end of the world the one that literally 41 percent of americans pew research center pulls this regularly 41 percent of americans think that jesus is coming back by 2050 what percentage of futurelings do you think are in that 41 percent 100 percent of them 100 yes. percent of futurelings believe oh. that that <laughs> jesus is coming back by when well 2050 2050. He's still got 30 years. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. So, you know, if he's got a, if he's got a to-do list, you know, if he, he's got, he's got some time to make this happen. I'll he, be in my eighties. I'm like, 
I can surf that blood wave. Right. And yeah. Jesus will be, you know, thousands of years old. He's, this right. is not any kind of 30 under 30 for him. He's, yeah, right. he's been planning this for thousands of years. Sure. We don't know the date or the time. But it's, it's not, you're right, that it's not evenly distributed across Americans. 58% of white evangelicals. Right. I would expect a larger number of white evangelicals. Well, these are the numbers that say 2050. Oh, oh, oh! There are some other. There are some others that say like no, next Wednesday got, or no, no, no. The, oh. You know, after twenty fifty. I see. You got the twenty fifty oneers, the twenty fifty two school, the breakaway twenty fifty three sect. Sure, sure. Some kind of planetary alignment in twenty fifty four. I think I know. I, I know a couple of those. It's fifty nine percent of non college educated Americans. Okay, so, so that that seems the same. Group. I'm not saying it's the same group. <laughs> I'm not saying it's the same group. Okay. The numbers tend to work out, and it's pr- pretty much the same number. It's low 50% in the American South. So it's it's highly concentrated. Now, we're speaking to a future audience that knows exactly whether or not Jesus came back by 2050, and, oh. if, and if so, what his, you know, what his first uh, actions were. So are you a truther which on this Which social media platforms question? he got on? Do you think it's— do you think What that... would a truther be? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. Or like, well, let's say what, which, which percentage are you in? If you can say 2050, 2050, it's pretty soon actually. So when Jesus explains to his apostles in Matthew 24, that he'll be back, I'll be back. He did not, he does not do that. <laughs> what if he did movie quotes a lot? <laughs> Austin Powers guys get it. They're all like, huh? He's like, if you are old. Uh, the, uh, you know, he tells them that no one knows the day or the hour of his return. Oh, oh okay. That's complicated considering how many people well, claim per- to know. 58% of people have it narrowed down to between now and 2050. Now, I guess you could say these people don't know the day nor the hour. They're just pretty sure it's between now and 2050. Right, but that <laughs> it's a, seems it's a loophole. That seems like uh, pretty like a blasphemous or not, not Bible, not sure. Bible literalists. Well, well, I mean, these people are literalists so you know they'd be happy right. to proof text and say oh well i don't know the day nor the hour but i've read this best-selling book i got at uh at uh, uh what's it what i'm trying to make Barnes up and nobles no i'm trying to make up a name for a weird christian bookstore oh uh, uh, olive olive branch books <laughs> or, or something yeah mount uh mount i went to Tabor. i went to mount carmel <laughs> uh books and tchotchkes and this little paperback told me so but but shouldn't they say like inshallah or something at exactly, the end? Exactly right. Yeah. Or you know, basically, if 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 Jesus is trying to convey the fact that there's going to be great uncertainty and it's impossible to predict, he says he's going to come like a thief in the night. Yeah, that's my kind of Jesus. <laughs> what, does that, what does that even mean? <laughs> well, he's, he's like gonna, in a ninja costume. He like slinks just, around. I think what he's trying to convey, he's not going to take your stuff. <laughs> I'm going to come like a thief in the night, and then he's going to take my take neighbors. Your, take your car keys. Uh, I think he's trying to convey that. Uh, He'll come at a time when you're not expecting. You'll, yeah. you'll be asleep. And so if really 59, 58% of white evangelicals think it's a specific time frame, that would certainly imply that it's not going to be that time frame. Right. Well, I mean, is he, does he like burst in like the Spanish Inquisition or does he like, sl- does he like slip into your DMs? Well, a thief in the night you'd think would be a little more subtle. And yeah. yet there, are, there is a different scriptural tradition of him of every knee bowing and every tongue confessing. Uh, yeah, 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 right. Which must mean it's on CNN. Doesn't Nostradamus say that someone in a blue turban <laughs> is going to rule the earth for a thousand years? Sure, the man with the blue turban and yeah. the four gardens. Right. Yeah, we all know about a that. Deep throat in, the, in a parking garage <laughs> in Washington, D.C. So, it, you know, it's an interesting thing the future is going to have to know is that uh, in, right. uh, roughly almost half of America 
thinks that the end is going to come and not through climate change or nuclear war, the kind of things that you and I were brought up worried about. Right. But really through this, these Bronze Age, very specific Bronze Age prophecies about a, a massive battle in a Middle Eastern valley. Do sentient Aspens have their own Jesus? Or does the one Jesus cover sentient Aspens you know, too? I would like to think that the, the infinite nature of Jesus's... Uh, Good attributes sure. and his purview and his sacrifice, right? His 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 jurisdiction. You'd think would be would be the sins of everyone. Would include hyenas and and protozoa. But this the is question a, becomes: Can they sin? Right. And does my dog go to heaven? What are the quaking aspens? You know, what are they even morally capable of doing wrong? I mean, they're all touching underneath the garment of the <laughs> of the, the soil, soil. <laughs> right? It's just one big aspen it's orgy just, all yeah, the time. It's just like a bunch of polyamorous trees. Well, now I kind of don't want uh, Jesus that to be in Jesus's jurisdiction. Like, sure. And that's, why should he have to deal with that? It's weird. Where are they going to root in the <laughs> clouds. Uh, so this is one of the fundamental questions that we here in our ivory tower, the Seattle liberal elite enclave. Right. We can kind of ignore the fact that, but it's th- a, that everybody was raised, that another half of America that we don't know was raised with all these books in their basement, very specifically promising all this stuff. But it, it, it's the it's the part of American life that is the most confounding because a lot of these people are also colonels in the United States Air Force. A lot of them are are most most of them. Well, yeah, like uh, uh, of those white even fifteen percent of white evangelicals, <laughs> two thirds are Air Force colonels holding one of the two keys right now. So that is a, I mean that and and the and the the U.S. Congress, you know, is made up of people a lot of people who at least profess to be. Although there's a sense, at least I have, that they're very cynical about it. Um, they can't, yeah, they can't all really think this way, right? They just know that, wait, this is the only way to get elected. So a certain percentage, and I, and I have no idea how to gauge it, but a certain percentage of futurelings listening right now are searching their, uh, their tendrils or searching their, their tentacles and you know, looking deeply into their tentacles going, wow, have you ever really looked at your tentacles? But they're saying about themselves, well, yes, I am one of these people, a certain percentage of our listeners. I hope they don't make cheap jokes about people like me that had one of these weirdo Hal Lindsey books in my basement as a kid. Oh, you did? No, I didn't. But that's what they're saying. Oh, I see what you're saying. They're saying, I hope these two liberal elitists don't don't turn their their sardonic eye on me. Uh, But it is something I think we have to reckon with, the fact that, uh, you know, we even though you know we're we're more skeptical of religion in this society than probably we've ever been since colonial times which uh, society since though? since the you know north america since the great awakening has never been more secular than it is now i think of it i think of it being more secular in 1979 than it is now oh, is that not true well there is there are some data points and we can look at those when we meet mr tim LaHaye, one of the protagonists of this particular omnibus project. I entry. can't wait. I'm on tenterhooks. The, uh, but yes, if we if we generally think, despite this kind of decline in religion in the public space that I think everybody would have to agree with, no matter what their ideology, everybody still, most people, unless you're kind of an angry internet atheist, you have this idea that religion is kind of generally a benign force that we associate with um, kind of benevolent small town. American communitarianism. A thousand points of light, everybody helping their neighbors. It's idealistic. It's, you know, it's something to shoot for, even if you really can't buy the a lot of the specifics. What a, you know, what a nice thing 
and there there is this kind of just some small quaint anti-catholic uh, sure. racism and, and anti-semitic but we <laughs> sure. can overlook sure 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 you know if we if you limit yourself to the the six non-offensive chick tracts <laughs> but but the whole thing has as part of its at least as you point out at least in the 21st century a big part of the equation today for the most politically powerful portion of religious americans is the absolute certainty that the end of the world is coming and in very specific ways maybe can be hastened why not is this an example of a whole group of people that never think about the future at all except in this one context i mean you know to to not be planning for your kid's college education or your the, or, the causation might go the other way what if you know this is something you will literally hear from evangelicals on the right is why would i worry about Oh, climate change. Sure. Jesus is coming, and for all we know, he wants the ocean levels to be higher. This right. is the kind of thing okay. that'll that'll bring him back sooner, and end this and end this terrible time. And specifically, these kind of these ideas about very specific millennial events: the rapture, the tribulation. You know, uh, the fact that we kind of have a on the right a play by play of how this is going to go. Um, gives people a lot of uh, maybe unfounded certainty about the end of the world. And this is the, this is the um, component of the evangelical culture that's very pro-Israel, right? Because, because Israel's existence is biblically, for, uh, biblically pro, um, prophesied, and it's one of the signs or symbols of the, of the second coming. Yes, and as, because of that, Israel has, is a very weird plot point in the Left Behind novels. Let's actually get to the Left Behind novels. Let's just we? get there. Let's just get there. In the early 90s. I was there. A, uh, uh, kind of. No, I was super, well, okay. <laughs> I mean, I was definitely super there. I feel like you I were just, not hanging out with the Moody Bible Institute guys. No. No, you're right. I was, I was semi-conscious in the early 90s. There's a big, uh, you know, there's a big Christian book industry targeted to this broad swath of Americans that feels not at home with increasingly secular, godless, liberal, popular culture and wants their own material. Uh, an author named Jerry Jenkins has written... Fake name. Fake. Totally fake guy. Nope. His name's Jerry Jenkins. Wow. Has written... <laughs> all these guys. All these guys at the Moody Bible Institute or whatever have these made-up names. You're just going to have to get used to it. Jerry Jenkins, right. If... They would say the same thing about John Roderick. John Roderick, fake name. How is John Roderick a fake name? It's the same. It's got the same uh, repetition of, of vowels and consonants that Jerry Jenkins No, does. it's just Anglo-Saxon enough to be real. Ken Jennings sounds just as fake as yeah, Jerry Jenkins. Yeah, it's true. Ken Jennings does sound fake. <laughs> and he looks fake, too. He's kind of got this, um, you know, he's this kind of stocky, barrel-chested, white-goateed guy that you could see golfing with your uncle. Yeah. Uh, he is, uh, he's written just hundreds of books. Christian self-help books, Christian... YA books, Christian mystery series, uh, a lot of as-told-to um, biographies. I now believe I have read one of his books because he wrote an as-told-to of— uh, you know that when celebrities write their autobiographies, they don't actually—even the smart ones. Even Obama's not writing that thing. You know? What? He's, really? Well, I mean, oh, no. They all just get in a room with a journalist, and they talk, and they then they get a draft back where the guy writes down the story in their— Oh, right. know, A cleaned-up version of what they said— and then that's why all those books are so boring. 
there is kind of a template to them, but that's yeah. just because there's a template to human life. You, when you go to a rock star biopic, you're like, ah, oh, yeah, this is the. I hate those. This two. is a dark Evan period. I hate those two. Uh, Although that Elton John one was pretty good. The um, I don't know. I mean, do you think Obama wrote his own book? I'm going to say Obama had a ghostwriter. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure even going to look it up. I'm sure he did have a ghostwriter. I'm and, sure he did. He's a busy guy. He, that's the main thing. It's not that he could not string an inspirational paragraph together. That guy led the free world for eight years because he was capable of doing that one set of convention. But he's a busy guy. Yeah. It, you know how long it takes to write a book? A long time. In the case of my latest book, four, four years. <laughs> I watch you do it every day. Done. It's yeah. still not done. It's taken me 20 years and I'm still not done. So he would write these as told to biographies, many of them for Christian presses. Uh, for example, I think I read his book about B.J. Thomas when I was going to a, a, a Protestant, extremely Protestant middle school in the late 80s. Is B.J. Thomas of B.J. and the Bear? Is that the same <laughs> no. B.J.? What, who's B.J. B.J. Thomas? B.J. Thomas of Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. Oh, fame. oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I happen to know this because of my upbringing, because of my... Um, Semi, semi-Christian upbringing. Not, not my Mormon upbringing, my like Korean Lutheran private school upbringing. Right. Where we always, my elder elementary school classroom had a wall of these weird books. Right. You and Kathleen Edwards were there <laughs> a couple of years apart. We were there having to read um, about Christian detectives solving mysteries that all turned out to be um, demonic possession mm. and uh, celebrities who turned Christian. And then, and BJ Thomas is an example of one of these guys who wrote one of these, boy, was I, and you know, I had the biggest hit in America, but then the raindrops started falling on my head. Because I got into the needle drugs, and then I got into, you know, but it of course ends with him finding Jesus, and now he's a new person at the end of the book. So these are kind of the uh, the um, the antimatter Nancy Drews. Like Nancy Drew seems like she's investigating a demonic possession, but it's really a corrupt real estate <laughs> they, agent. Yes, and these are the, corrupt real estate agents that turn out to be demonic. It's the opposite of Scooby Doo. I don't know how many fake hauntings the Nancy Drew books actually had. Well, it's she always has, a ghostly horse. No, she has more of a smugglers and secret passages vibe. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're thinking of maybe the three investigators who we've mentioned on the show before. They always have fake hauntings. Yeah, but the smugglers, it's always something's going woo in the in the cave, right? Just trying to scare the people away. Glow in the dark. Yeah, you just put glow in the dark paint on one of the smugglers and he looks like uh, Captain Kidd, the headless pirate. Yeah, there you go. Yes, no, I read a bunch of these books where the the police all thought it was something boring, but only our... Detective who's been saved knows that it's actually a demon who stole the painting from the gallery. <laughs> why, why are you laughing? Again, know. 58% of white evangelicals, 41% of your fellow Americans, Sean. It just, I mean, I love it. It's, it's, it, I can't decide whether it, it's a coloration on life. It can't be that different. People are just not that different. It has to be something you and I are both capable of if we had been raised in that county. But like, I'm not somebody that, that imparts uh, an eco sensibility or a leftist sensibility very much to things that happen in the world. I kind of take stuff like when a tree falls in the forest, I assume it makes a sound when the, maybe the divide is certainty. And that's you, the you thing. You and I are very skeptical about certainty. I think. Yeah. There's very little certainty. I have I have very little about anything, and and certitude I don't accept. And it's not just that we have ideological objections to certainty; we really just feel at sea with big parts of our lives. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. When <laughs> somebody says like this is so, my instinct is to go really, and rather than thank God, someone knows. Right, and I think it's easy to see what the. I mean, there's dangers both ways, but the dangers of it is so is you fly a plane into a skyscraper because it is so. I mean, yeah, there, right. you know, there's there's a body count to to it is so. 
Um, or you, but you, you also don't have the satisfaction of not knowing, right? The, right. There's an aesthetic component. Yeah. The, the, you you the, enjoy the struggle. It's the yeah. sublime, but it's the flip side of the sublime. You can't enjoy the sublime if you think that it all adds up somewhere. Maybe that's what it is. It's just people who enjoy the enjoy the the, the wrestle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of the answer. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the difference between a good university education and a poor one. The answer has to be good though. And, uh, is, the left behind books are not good. No. Is, is most of the people being, bring, being burned alive in a firestorm? Uh, I'm, look, I've never read one, so I don't know what the end result is. Why I don't, don't I don't want to generalize about Christianity because, um, God loved his, his, God loved us all enough to sacrifice. So that's a really beautiful story. I don't know. It's a weird story. Frankly, I don't want to get into it. I don't want to get into the Bible either, but he comes back to life. It never makes any Spo- sense. Spoilers. To me. He comes back. To okay. Life. Okay. I mean, yeah, right. Of course. Right. But, but the, but the sacrifice part is sure. the one that I don't, I fully don't. You don't think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's like a mom suffering privations for her kids or, or, or uh, maybe lifting up a car. I don't know. Lifting up a car. I'm, I'm a little confused about the metaphor now. Okay. All right. Lifting up a car. Let's go with that. But you're right that there are very when you get into some of the specifics, you know, if you if you take a one verse from the book of Ezekiel and extrapolate a full um, 500 page Tom Clancy type book out of it, yeah, uh, some of those specifics are are deeply weird. I just have this picture of the Council of Nicaea trying to trying to stitch together 50 different books written by semi literate people in Aramaic and just coming up with this story sort of out of uh, it's like a. That's probably not too far off. Yeah, it just feels like what? When? But it made sense at the time, or like they were, they'd all been drinking all day. You can't argue with success, right? A billion people like the story, right? Well, or at least don't understand it enough that they, <laughs> they're like <laughs> to complain about it. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so Jerry Jenkins has written a bunch of these as told to books. Um, a lot of athletes: Oral Hershiser, Mike Singletary, um, Coach Joe Gibbs of the. I'm going to get this wrong. Broncos, maybe? Because it's a very, it's a, it's, it's a. That's the demographic that these Christian dads are going to want to read about, especially if a lot of these guys are God-fearing men. And it's a core experience of Christianity, which is to have earthly success, to have, and to find it wanting, Mm -hmm. and then to have the, either a return to the fold or a lightning bolt. And for the reader, and this is something we're going to see over and over again, there's a kind of marginalization you feel when you're a uh, God-fearing evangelical in America and the whole, the pop culture, the culture is not your culture anymore. Right. Nothing is made for you. And so there's a sense of legitimacy when you're like, oh man, I read this book and Mike Singletary saved, you know? Right, right. Um, right. There's like a deep craving for that kind of material. Like, oh, you know, the, it, it's not, it's not crazy, you know? Uh, Jerry Jenkins's agent calls him up one day in the early 90s and says, I'd like to introduce you to someone. I'd like to introduce you to Tim LaHaye. You are a novelist who has been telling me lately he's got writer's block and you don't have an idea for a novel. And Tim LaHaye is not a novelist and he's got just a crackerjack idea for a novel. And I want you guys to connect. Is Tim LaHaye related to uh, Anton LaVey? It (laughs) sounds very He's the opposite of him. (laughs) If the two ever, if the two were ever to come into contact, there'd be a ginormous explosion. No, Tim LaHaye at the time, and and Jerry Jenkins certainly would have known of Tim LaHaye. 
Um, he's maybe the most influential American of that period that none of us have ever heard of. Uh-huh. You know, and when, when I say none of us, I mean people who didn't have a basement full of Hal Lindsey books. Uh, he was a just uh, you know he started out as just a Baptist pastor. I, I think he was he was saved at some point in his in his twenties or thirties after a, a low point, which is very good in in, in sermons. He became a Baptist pastor and a very uh, influential and ambitious one. He founded a Christian college in San Diego. He founded uh, an institute for crea- uh, creationist research at another Christian college in South Dakota or in San Diego. So he's setting up this. Um, this is a period when he's kind of setting up this alternative ecosystem to the godless agenda of that he sees rising in the rest of America. In 1979, he is one of the voices who tells Jerry Falwell to form the moral majority. He says... Which is neither. He says, Jerry Falwell, <laughs> you, you should form the moral majority. I read the bumper stickers. <laughs> uh, and, you know, that's... And it's, it's you know, we talked about this in the Anita Bryant show. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this is a time of a massive ground swell where American religious... Exp- Christian experience, which had kind of been very broad and unfocused and had these Catholic and Lutheran and Episcopalian arms, different kinds of well-behaved religion, really became laser-focused on politics and on specific uh, issues. Right. School school boards and... Abortion and sex ed and uh, 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 gays in the schools and... Right. Drugs. We got... My brother always has some story about some guy moving into their neighborhood and telling, and you know, just saying over the fence, "Yeah, we moved here from Florida. They got the gays in the schools down there." The gays in the schools. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> they got the gays in the schools down there. <laughs> I went to gays in the schools elementary in St. Petersburg, Florida. Um, At first, I thought you said they got the gays and the schools down there, and I was like, "Oh, even, wow. even worse." <laughs> I know homosexuality gays and science and schools. <laughs> uh, so, so he's part of this, you know, building this kind of counter movement where, you know, if there's an, if there's enough of us and we had a cable TV channel, right. we could really, uh, direct one wing of American politics any way we wanted. But it, it's a longstanding, uh, American sort of type, the, the, the one that, that believes that the, I mean, evangelicalism is kind of the American expression of that Presbyterian um, fervor, but it like it it we concentrated it like tang. Yeah, it really, really feels like an American, like an authentic American religion. And I just think of that moral and majority time as a time when all these people in polite religions, all the Methodists who are sitting and singing from their seven hundred page hymnal, um, are struck by a, by a, the excitement of a new, more engaged, more in some ways, violent and visceral it's hard, hot take on this. It's hard to imagine that it's that that's not one of the things that led to just the increasing secularization of America is everybody got a different view of religion from these guys they started to see on their satellite dishes. You know, Did they, you ever watch those shows? The, uh, the, uh, the Jim and Tammy Baker? Club and... Yeah, you can still see Jim. I saw a clip of Jim Baker last week. Well, he's selling like apocalypse yes. barrels he, now. He's got some kind of berry that'll cure COVID. Yeah, which is really a, the best kind of berry. His son and I had a Twitter relationship for a brief period because his son was like one of those tattooed uh, minister types. 
who, a, a cool youth pastor, a cool youth pastor who was trying to engage with the Twitter, uh, the Twitterati. And this was long ago when, if you had 3000 followers, you were somebody on Twitter. And I, yeah, we went back and forth half a dozen times. It'd be funny if he was born with the tattoos. Cause it was like, just, it was Tammy Faye's makeup. In his, in his genetics. I thought you meant like the mark of the beast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe that's true. Yeah, Jim Baker's son is probably the Antichrist. I think we all, I think we all know that. Anyway, LaHaye founded a bunch of these other kind of religious right, political organizations of his, on his own, including in 1998, uh, we're kind of getting into the left behind time frame here, the Pre-Tribulation Research Center. Again, it's kind of mimics the language of academia in the same way that intelligent design does right pre-tribulation research center yes they're researching a very specific brand of christian eschatology you know end of the world imaginings called dispensationalism Uh and in fact a very specific kind of dispensation called pre like pre-tribul millennial pre-tribulation dispensational dispensationalism which is the the theology that underscores his massive 16 book left behind series, which is kind of the play by play, the certainty we were talking about before that sooner or later, all this is going to happen. All the prophecies will be fulfilled. All saved Christians will be raptured, leaving a seven year tribulation when the earth weeps and wails and gnashes its teeth and Satan is loosed among the people. And it's too late for me to, to convert at that point. Is that right? Well, that's an interesting question. It's a it's a literary question. The Left Behind books begin as all the good people get raptured. Oh, 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 that's the that's top of the hour. That's that's it's just like the HBO's The Leftovers. That's oh. scene number one. So LaHaye's idea, which he tells Jenkins, is here's what I got. Uh these guys are flying on a plane to London, and suddenly the flight attendant rushes up to the pilot and says, Sir, a hundred passengers just disappeared. Oh, that's so exciting. Leaving their clothes and uh underwear. They all wear terrible uh, strict underwear probably because mm-hmm. they're they're Christians of one kind or another. Mm-hmm. Uh their pacemakers, their the pin, the pins in their hips and knees. Ah! All this stuff just rattles to the seats in coach. What? Call Nancy Drew. <laughs> no. Nancy <laughs> Drew's out of her depth here and probably raptured. Nancy oh, Drew's gone. Yeah, oh, okay. I believe I'll believe that. But 100 people on a flight? That seems like a like a lot of people uh, do you ever do you usually saved. when you get on a plane are you like hey who here is uh who here has found the lord no i just i look at everybody you and make tell? a quick assessment like sinner 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 you maybe get raptured I mostly mean, sinners on it's planes. an overseas flight so you do have to Even you have more to have, sinners yeah exactly more sinners you do have to wonder how many i don't okay i don't know how many people on the plane disappear i mean unless they're flying to ghana and it's a bunch of uh missionaries they're, they're all singing uh uh <laughs> That uh, God told Noah to build an Arky song as they as they fly to Ghana, yeah, well, to, to dig wells. Uh, and this is the you know this surprises the hell out of our our, our two protagonists on the plane, our pilot Rayford Steele. <clears throat> what? No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and our uh, our magazine writer back in coach. By the way, this guy's the sexiest best magazine writer and the sexiest best pilot. These are all manly men. Um, but the guy's flying in coach, so... Oh, but he's a humble magazine writer. Sexy, well, he best... Can't, he can't be that humble. He didn't get saved. I mean, both both of I these see. guys are not... They can't be moral exemplar. I mean, honestly, it doesn't matter if they're good moral people. What matters is they did not accept Jesus into their hearts. I see. In fact, the book begins with Pilot Rayford Steele having a... 
what for a Christian book is a very torrid fantasy about one of the flight attendants. Uh-huh. He thinks she has a very pretty smile. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's how you know that he's, uh, even though he's married with kids. Uh, in back, so back, yeah, back in the, one of the passengers is Clayton Buck Williams, a roving reporter for some Time or Newsweek-like thing called Global Weekly or something. Uh, and these two kind of become our protagonists through this new world in which we find out. You know, he turns the plane around and heads back to, they're not, Europe has shut down all the airports. Although you'd think nobody got raptured in Europe, right? Nobody, uh, he turns the plane around. They just have enough fuel to get back to O'Hare. He drives home and finds that his wife and son, I guess the righteous ones in the family, have disappeared. Wait, his wife and son were saved? And he's out checking out the smile of some some flight attendant? Just like so many wayward husbands. You know, he's got a dutiful Christian wife at home. What does the Pew Foundation say about that? How many are, How many split <laughs> families are there, do you think? <laughs> Uh, it's gotta be pretty high. I mean, in my own religious tradition, I kind of grew up in a time where it was a pretty common trope that, you know, mom would keep bringing the kids to church right? and, you know, well, dad was off playing dad kind of, there's, there's a Norman Rockwell cover of this, of, of the mom and the kids kind of with their noses in the air, heading off to church in their Sunday finest while dad is slumped down watching the football game in it, his, in his bathrobe. It feels like the very modern version of this is that. Um, someone in the family has gone QAnon and everybody else is like pleading with them to, to come back to reality. Honestly, it's, it's increasingly common in, uh, at least in Mormon circles. And I bet this is true in a lot of Protestant circles as well for the gender split to go the other way. It's, uh, it's, it's mom who is, you know, troubled by tired of the patriarchy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Who, who for, you know, various feminine feminist issues is increasingly skeptical about the faith in which she was raised and it's dad take beleaguered dad having to take the kids to church. Right. Um, anyway, so yeah, I think there's split families in this case, permanently split because Rayford Steele is now trapped in a world he never made. Wow. And of course this is a huge, uh, geopolitical moment this is a thanos type event where uh, a billion christians are gone it seems very much like you would if you had the option you would immediately convert because well, oh it all turns out to be true so get me out of here so the scripture is silent on whether the, the dispensationalist theology is kind of silent on whether or not people can can convert during the seven years of the tribulation and you'd think that the uh, you know the implication would be yeah it's too late they they had their chance so what, how much predestination is here? I mean, how much is this Presbyterianism or or Calvinism? Well, there's some, there's some, uh, you know, Jenkins and LaHaye are both uh, sympathetic to certain kinds of Calvinism, but also they have their own beeves with Calvinism, <laughs> as we will see. Oh, I just remembered something that's padding the numbers on the plane. The kids all disappear. Oh, because they were baptized but have not yet fallen? Yeah. Falling is something that happens in your teen years when you get introduced to rock and roll. Or maybe they weren't baptized, but um are innocent. Jesus turns a blind eye, you know, they're they're still young enough that they um that they're not fully uh aware of the evil they do or or can't, well, can't do any. Wait, isn't that a problem with abortion that those babies aren't baptized and so they go into purgatory? Uh this is a long-standing Let's get our story straight. This is here. a long-standing uh, Christian difficulty with infant baptism, and it's not even related to abortion. It's just, well, what happens? What if a to, stillborn baby? Or, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. There were somebody that dies before the baptism, or what? How all those? It was it was trouble during the Renaissance because what about all those great classical people we adore who lived before Christ? You know what? Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. What you're telling me that uh, 
uh, uh, uh, Aristotle's in hell. And that's why Dante has to create some kind of nice part of hell, like right. a, a little grassy lobby outside in, in kind of limbo where, um, where, but, where Plato can chill with, with Homer. But Joseph Smith solved this problem. Yeah, with the well, retroactive baptism. Well, there's that, and also Mormons don't go for infant baptism. Oh, right on. Mormons High are baptized. Mormons are baptized. <laughs> yeah, I don't want. I don't want to toot my own horn too much. Mormons are baptized. Mormon kids are baptized at the age of eight if they so choose. The idea oh. being, at this time, you know, they're they're well on their way to to knowing the difference between a good choice and a bad choice. So you should do it affirmatively. You should, you should choose. Right. Yeah. And the idea and the implication is that anybody who dies before the age of eight, of course, would, is just, it's just fine. Get out of jail free card. Yeah. Right. And, but you don't, you don't have like an eight year old room springer, do you? That seems like a little early. Seven and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Second grade, you see all the pixie sticks you want, baby. <laughs> Ken, you know, sometimes it rains on your birthday. I've celebrated your birthday many times. It seems to never rain. I live in Seattle in May, and it sometimes rains on my birthday. Uh, you know, I, I always thought that you were the you were kind of a sun king. But um, here's something that I know you've never experienced. Sometimes the line for coffee wraps around the building. I've heard. I've heard yeah, about this. You've seen it. You've had I've this, walked by a Starbucks. You've threaded through the line. Uh, sometimes, and I know this matters to you, Wait, no, it doesn't, because sometimes gas goes up 10 cents, but you don't drive a gas-powered car anymore. That's true. I drive electric. Oh, look, mm -hmm. look at all these problems I'm avoiding. Sometimes life stinks, but not for you. You know, everything's really turning uh, turning up roses for but, me. But here's the problem. I experience all these things. It rains on my birthday. Uh, I have to wait in coffee lines. Gas matters because I have a truck. Life does sometimes stink. But you know what? You know who helps you when life stinks? Who? Native. Oh, because you don't have to stink. You don't have to stink because, and, and, and Native cares about the products you put on your body. They're, uh, they're, they're, stop, they're stopping you stink responsibly. Yeah, that's right. They're helping stop the stink the right way. That's well, the Native difference. In your opinion, what is the right way to stop people from stinking? Well, you probably already know about Native's legendary aluminum-free deodorant, but have you ever heard or tried their body wash, toothpaste, or brand new mineral-based sunscreen? Wait, I have not, and I've been doing these ad reads for months. They, have, of, they have body washes and toothpastes uh, and sunscreens? That's right. It's all coming on. You know, think about the, the stinkiest thing you know is probably sunscreen, but Native has a new broad-spectrum SPF 30 sunscreen for your face and body. It's lightweight. It absorbs quickly. Just in time for summer, and you can choose between coconut and pineapple, your typical smell, or unscented sunscreen. I don't think I would mind uh, stinking if I smelled like a pina colada. Well, that's the thing. Uh, sunscreen is one of those great things that when you put it on, it just smells like Hawaii. That's right. Um, so they do offer Hawaii-scented sunscreen. But Native's mission is to overhaul your entire hygiene routine. It's very ambitious of them. Well, it is, but think about it. They're putting the care in self-care. With products carefully made to work against odor. They're like the noid of odor that are made with simple ingredients and they smell great. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I have enjoyed some of their scents in the past. What's, have, what's kind of scents? I have a, I think I have a lavender and rose deodorant, yeah. mm -hmm. aluminum free. They've got citrus and herbal musk. That's my favorite kind of musk. Yeah, that's going to get you right there. Yeah. Uh, and you can build your own personalized product bundles. You can mix and match three of your favorite scents and keep them on rotation. So you have something for every occasion. And I can think of, a, I can think of only three occasions that you would attend. 
Uh, yeah, not a coffee shop, not nope. a gas station, nope. and not a rainy birthday party. Nope, just church and uh, public executions. And parent-teacher conferences. And that's right, those are the three. Those are the only three. If you are on their site right now checking out their personalized product bundles, uh, we've got an offer for you. You need to go to nativedeo.com, that's nativedeo.com slash omnibus, or use promo code omnibus at checkout, and you can get 20% off that first order. That's nativedeo.com slash omnibus, or use promo code omnibus at checkout for 20% off your first order. Jenkins agrees that this is a fantastic idea. He and LaHaye's for a Christian press called Tyndall Press uh, publish. Is that a biblical reference? Tyndall? Yeah, I think William Tyndall, an early uh, an early reformer. Uh, what? He's a, I think he's actually a, a publisher, isn't he? Am I, am I remembering this right? A translator of the Bible. There we go. Oh. Leading figure in the English Protestant Reforma- uh, yeah, Reformation of the 16th century. So, yes, uh, that's like uh, Mount Carmel books or whatever we mm-hmm. were saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, this book is subtitled A Novel of the Earth's Last Days. And, yes, you know, they've kind of solved the dramatic problem inherent in a lot of Christian and evangelical fiction, which is, you know, what do you do with all these good people? Is it boring? You know, where's your conflict if everybody's good? Right. So, the, so LaHaye very candidly got rid of all the good people, like, on page two. Right. So what is their interest? Why do they even care about what all the bad people are doing back on Earth? Well, the the, the novelty in Left Behind Theology, which is kind of new to dispensationalism, I, I think I did not quite get to this point, is that uh, you can actually be saved after the fact. Oh. In fact, these people did not miss their chance. Is it a steeper climb? Or do you have to... One would think so, although, you know, I would think it would be easier. You, you live in a world where the power of God has been made manifest, and not only that, you can know exactly who he chose to... Uh, to take away. You know, on HBO's The Leftovers, it's kind of a random segment of population that disappears, and it really just turns half of the world into cultists, and but really a lot of them into just kind of um, skeptics at sea, because now we know there's a higher power and it seems random. Yikes. Right. Um, but here... Real estate prices fall. <laughs> <laughs> though, I mean, that would be true. Right. It's all the Thanos stuff. Can, you know, can the Mets even field a team? I don't know. Actually, yes. College baseball. Or what's the most Christian sport? College football will be fine, but I don't know about track and field. Else. Track and field. Track and field. You think all those guys are saved? I bet. Um, Not a lot of sin in cross country running. Oh uh, well, I don't know. Wait a minute. I mean, the, they're all Norwegians. So what kind? The of, men are all Norwegian. The women yeah. are all gay. Yeah. I mean, not, not all, but. I mean, but, it's going to be pious, gay, but pious. I mean, if 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 LaHaye and Jenkins's view is that you know, none of these gay people will be saved, then, I mean, the WNBA is in trouble. In, I think that's clearly world. wrong. Uh, you, I, yeah, we just want to <laughs> hasten to add that we don't agree with this aspect of dispensational theology. So that's the point of these books. It is, it's like the Christian Archies. It's meant to, it's meant to give us, give us sinners a, a path. It, yes. And it creates a new, and uh, LaHaye and Jenkins brag about that. Every book has one specific conversion experience in which one previously unsaved character accepts Christ. Uh, they have said in interviews that they estimate about 2,000 people have been converted as a result of reading the Left Behind books and these touching accounts. How many? 2,000 people. Hmm, that doesn't seem like very many. Yeah, the books have sold 55 million copies. But, so what, 2,000? Well, well, in this case, they are literally preaching to the choir. Yeah, right. Who's... <laughs> 
Who, who's buying these books who is not saved? 2,000 people that were in a vacation house somewhere, and this was all there was. And they <laughs> Or they're in a Barnes & Noble, and they accidentally think it's like a Tom Clancy book. Right. These books have a lot in common with the techno-thrillers that were popular at the time. They are full of plot and incident, not particularly well uh, told or with particularly graceful prose, but um, they move fast, and they are full of crazy stuff. Um the world in which they take place is, by the way, at the moment of the rapture, their world is already very different than ours. Okay. Oh, it's alternate universe. It has to be because of... Uh, because there were 100 Christians on an international flight? There are already, according to dispensationalist theology, there are already certain requirements that have to be in place before the rapture. Guy with a blue turban, in, Israel reformed. Exactly. I see. Israel. Uh, according to LaHaye's very specific reading of the Bible, Israel has to be a... Greater Israel has to essentially have taken over the whole Middle East oh. uh, for the rapture to take place. So just in an aside, in chapter one, a bunch of, we learn that a bunch of these people are on the plane heading to Israel where a new kind of Norman Borlaug-style agricultural miracle has happened. Um, the Negev has bloomed. Huh. Israel's GDP is now such that it has made peace with all its neighbors. Huh. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure that Israel's economic security is the main thing holding it back from peace with the Arab world. I feel like the the Israelis, at least in our time, uh, they're, they, they are covetous of the West Bank, but they're not really that interested in Syria. No, but in this world, they have expanded to the Euphrates because that's how somebody is reading the oh. books of Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Revelation. Sure, sure. So, yeah, so it's just kind of hilariously revealed. Yeah, and as we all know, Israel now goes to to the middle of Iraq. Sure. Um, Baghdad is a... Is a Jewish city. Jerusalem Which is a Jerusalem is uh, has all been solved very easily. It's now the center of all the faiths, who all have free access. I support that sure. international city. It turns out spaceport. It, was, it turns out it was easy. But as soon as the um, so that's what's going on before him. But as soon as the rapture happens, uh, you know the tri- the time the seven years of tribulation are prophesied to be uh, a time of great turmoil and suffering. As we know, an antichrist will arise. Right. In this case, it's. Uh, it's a Romanian dictator named Nikolai Carpathia, which seems to be kind of a Ceausescu riff. That's a fake name. <laughs> that is a very fake name. You've been to Romania. How many people named Carpathia? Not many. That's Even some, in the Carpathians. That's just somebody looking at a map and seeing like, oh, yeah. here we go. You know, there's a town called Vulcan in the Carpathians. Why wouldn't they have just said uh, Nikolai Vulcan? Why isn't Spock the Antichrist? That's a killer name. Uh, and he's a very char- he, he uh, kind of takes over the UN. We start to see LaHaye and Jenkins's weird politics here, as as filtered through all these '70s paperbacks. They feel that the threat to to uh, good Christian souls is the United a, Nations. Yes, a very specific kind of one world government with a, with a new currency and right. printing the mark of the beast on everybody's forehead. It's a Goldwaterism, or it's a it's a John Birch Society. It's a John Birch Society world. trope, but like that was filtering up from from these hardcore dispensationalists into the political sphere. Right. Um, so it started with guys like LaHaye, who were very earnestly reading their Ezekiel and thinking, oh boy, uh-oh, there's going to be an Antichrist. And it, so he's like this kind of blonde, Redford-looking guy that everybody loves, but he turns the UN into kind of this... Uh, uh, hippy dippy, uh, uh, even more secular and heretical yeah. institution designed to thwart God's plans in unclear ways. One planet, one people. Uh, the so this is interesting. You mentioned the uh, anti-Catholic sentiment. The Pope is an interesting problem in this book. Right. The Pope gets raptured, 
Say what? But, because you don't want to offend your Catholic readers, but you also don't want to offend your evangelical readers, so probably a larger set. So they make clear that this new pope has been kind of a dodgy, uh, 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 kind of Martin Luther-style reformer who has, oh. who has troubled many in the Vatican with his... Oh. Uh, with his Protestant leaning thinking, he's a secret evangelical. Yes, so, so pope. if you if you want to, you so if you're a Catholic reader, you can be like, oh, the Pope got uh, twinkled. I see. Um, and then of course he gets replaced with like an uh, like a kind anti-pope. of a, an evil secular anti-Pope. Uh, but if you're a evangelical reader, you can be like, ah, I see. The Pope only got raptured because he was like a secret uh, Pentecostal. How much does a Catholic have to veer? <laughs> to qualify as uh, on the right side of Jesus. It depends on who you ask. I think most of these well-behaved Protestant denominations accept Catholic baptism. If you're if you're converted from Catholicism to Methodism, you don't have to get rebaptized and vice versa. Um right. but a lot of these uh more evangelical firebrands, these uh charismatics and pentecostalists and some baptists, uh you know, they might have a very different view. Mm. Um, so as the books go on, you have these enemies. Uh, the, the books are full of bad guys because all the good people got twinkled, and a very small number of our heroes who form what they call the tribulation force <laughs> to kind of advance. <laughs> exactly, it's so like wait, a Buffy the, the Vampire Slayer thing to advance Christ's cause in a, in a in darkening world. And this is a series of books. Does the does the covetous pilot and the journalist do the two of them stay? Stay throughout? Are they are they the main characters of all these books? I don't want to spoil who lives and who dies, okay. but, but right. yes, the characters we meet at the beginning and their kind of family members and supporting cast, they tend to be our point of view characters through this nutty uh, post-rapture So they're the world. Nancy Drews. Yeah, but there's no mystery to solve. Right. It's, it's very clear. I mean, that's maybe a difficulty in writing Christian mysteries is... Well, so it's an how audience mu- that wants certainty. Within the book, how much time do they spend wondering what happened to everybody who left their pacemakers behind before <laughs> they before they kind of triangulate and go, oh, wait, it's all the Christians? It seems pretty quick. Like, Rayford, when Rayford Steele gets home and finds that uh, half of his family has disappeared, and, yet, and his, it's like his wayward daughter at college who's still around, oh, boy. then he finds his wife's uh, Bible, and he starts to think. And I think on the news, you know, CNN is showing, you know, a maternity video of a baby getting raptured immediately upon leaving the womb or a bride placing the Zoinks. ring on her, on her husband's hand and disappearing. Uh, good stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, he finds his wife's Bible and reads, just happens to open to first Corinthians 15, which reads that, uh, you know, what will happen at the time of Jesus's coming and he will take everyone up with him and they will uh, never taste of death. I mean, that's another weird thing is that, uh, you'd think that death and resurrection would be a big part of the Christian message. You know, that's, that's kind of the hope of Christianity is a, a new life after the grave. But in this new dispensationalist strain, it's really, uh, is, there, is there a loophole? Is there a way to avoid death? Is there a magical golden ticket that Jesus can give you seven years before he comes? But you're not, you're not, um, if you avoid death, you're not still inhabiting the earth, right? I mean, you avoid death by going up to a cloud city. Yes. Not, not, uh. But you avoid the, the sufferings and indignities of oh, death. Oh, yeah. Um, so you're really, to, to someone with a, a strong view of, you know, the resurrection as the central message of, the central hopeful message of Christianity, um, 
these books are a little odd. This whole theology is a little odd, as we will see. And the books also have kind of this chick-tracked kind of um, the grim pleasure they take in the, um, not just in the, the luridness of evil, but also the the suffering that these people have to face. You know, all these, all the villains that we meet face terrible ends, and often at the at the other end of an attack helicopter, because the cool thing about the millennia, uh, the, the tribulation is it's going to end with the battle of Armageddon. It's going to end with oh. the biggest battle in human history. So for a Clancy reading dad audience, this is good stuff. And uh, do any truckers say, ha, 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 <laughs> before they get their comeuppance? You can kind of sense the writers and the readers all saying, ha, 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 as all, you know, all these forces of, of liberalism and the new world order, one at a time, see that how hollow and empty it all was and are cast down to hell at the end of the books i mean spoilers yeah in book there's 16 books jesus confusingly comes back in book 12 and i think that was supposed to be the final book the glorious appearing then there was a series of you know, these books were just licensed to print money yeah they were uh again 55 million copies so they were just atop the new york times bestseller list for years so the new york times would uh would legitimize them by putting them on the bestseller list it's like it's like the rap charts or whatever you the, can't ignore them the rapture charts the rapture charts yeah the new york times did not create a second list the way they did to get harry potter off of there right because that would be that would be bad to to ghettoize i mean you, you can I don't move. know that seemed very new york times <laughs> no I, I could believe it but it's a bad look new york times said god is dead i think time magazine said god is oh, dead oh yeah they get it wrong yeah what what song is that uh it, is it Elton John? What is that? Yeah, Elton John. It's um, Daniel. No, what song is that? God. Yeah, it's Daniel. It's a Daniel. Yeah, is it's, that not, he, it's not Saturday he, Night's All Right for Fighting, but is, that seems like more reasonable. Is he traveling tonight on a plane, but he's about to get raptured? Interesting. Does Daniel survive to the end of the song? What if he's on a plane where both pilots were Christians? Those. Are, Ooh. I wonder if the books ever get into that. There's going to be a there's going to be a lot of secondhand deaths because of all the yeah. Christian drivers that were on the road. Yeah, the bu- the buses go off the road because the only person on it was a Christian. Nuclear power plant staffed by two Christian guys. The Air Force colonels you were talking about. There you go. All the bombers flying pilotless. Yeah. Uh, so the war that happens is just between different non-believers. Well. Yes, uh, essentially. Uh, it's not, just the army of the Jews fighting the army of the gays. Not, and, the, and then the army of the schools. Uh, you know, Carpathia, the Antichrist, is kind of our, our big villain. But the, the tribulation force actually leads the battle against him. So we do have people to root for on the good side of Armageddon. Oh. Um, and but, then, of course, when Jesus appears to marshal his troops, uh, you know, then you've got an actual heavenly protagonist. So this is the thing that confuses me about it, which is... This is all foreordained, right? The you, you can't fight the Antichrist with nunchucks. It's uh, well, like who? It's like all these superhero movies where you know Superman's going to win. So who can't? Why? Why spend forty five minutes on some giant battle with the with the space lizard? Well, hundreds of millions of people go. I mean, I guess you don't know if Godzilla is going to beat King Kong, but you're pretty sure right. that that uh, Thor is going to win. So all these people, everybody that dies just goes plummeting down to some level of hell. At the end, yeah, literally Jesus is opening cracks in the earth to, to, send, to send our villains downward. Wait, hell is actually pit. inside earth? It appears to be under the Middle East. Oh. No, it's some, he's got some kind of a portal. He can do whatever oh. he wants. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Um, these, space, space hell. Yeah. These books uh, led to their uh, series of young adult spinoffs, music CDs, four video games, uh, famously a series of movies. 
Starring uh, Kirk Cameron. Yes. Uh, uh, Kirk Cameron had been a, a born-again celeb, I think, who famously maybe got his co-star fired from Growing Pains. Like the girl who played his girlfriend, he got her fired from Growing Pains because... She wore a suggestive blouse. Yeah, she did a Playboy spread or something. I can't remember. Anyway. But he was Christian the whole time. He didn't have a fall. He wasn't on Growing Pains and doing cocaine in the back and then then got the lightning bolt. He, he was always... Had, it would have had to be pretty young, if so. I don't know his... I didn't read his as told to. But yes, he's uh, he becomes our... Uh, I think... Well, is he is he Buck Williams or is he Rayford Steele? I, now I don't even know. I, I did not see these movies. Oh, so he stars as a baddie... Or as a, I'm sorry, not a baddie, but a godless person who's he's journalist on Cameron the right Buck side. Williams. Oh. Yes, he's he's intrepid roving reporter. Just a coincidence. Cameron his name Buckley's. is Cameron. Yeah, maybe it's Tony Danza thing where uh, he he has a hard time answering to other names because he's not that bright. <laughs> like, like if you say if you say uh, you know Jerry, he'll just kind of look around. This is an interesting time uh, because this is also the beginning of the Christian rock culture. You know, right up until the early 90s, most, it seemed to me, most Christian pastors still believed that rock music was taboo rhythms and it was driving kids to play Dungeons and Dragons. And then all of a sudden there were all these blues rock dudes who were writing songs about Jesus and then bands, you know, Striper, I guess, was late 80s. But, Striper. But, you know, all of a sudden rock and roll was a thing that you could it was a radio format. Yeah, you could you could all you could love Jesus through rock, and it really bothered me as a rock musician because for it's probably just generational turning. Over. I was going to say if somebody it. looked at poll numbers, but no, it's just generational turning over of the pastors. Yeah, of everybody anybody who was born rock. after 1950. Yeah, I'm sure there's Christian rap. To the ones that think they heard, I did use the J word because I ain't too soft to say it, even if DJs don't play it. Yeah, there are actually Christian rockers in the Left Behind movie. Some of your favorite. Um, Christian TV personalities and pastors and musicians appear. Uh, oh, as cameos. A lot of them appear in the airplane. They're the ones who get raptured. Get it? Uh-huh. See it? All your favorites are gone. Uh, the movies were um, not very good, not very popular. They were they were released on, uh, the first one at least was released on video first and then in kind of an odd move, they were released to theaters after, but like churches were encouraged to pay thousands of dollars to sell out a whole showing and then try to sell the tickets themselves. Oh, uh-huh. You oh, know, yeah, sure. The Amway model. Yeah, because they're trying to, you know, they, they want to be up in the box office numbers with the wedding planner Hannibal and Saving Silverman, you know? So it's it's payola. Basically. They're, yeah, they're, 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 uh, they're getting their album in the charts by selling it for 99 it's, cents. It's like, or Prince giving them out at a concert, I guess. Uh, right, right. That was, yeah, good model. It worked. Um, in until, this case, until they banned it. In this case, it did not work. I think not only did churches lose money, but they didn't sell out that many theaters. So the movie the movie did not make back its cost, and that's kind of what turned LaHaye against his partner, uh, Paul Lalonde of Cloud Ten Productions, who had made the movie. And there was a lawsuit. You know, he, he you know he saw this as just the great legitimization of his work when hundreds of millions of Americans went to a big budget left behind movie, and when the movies were tacky and unsuccessful. Lay got mad. He, as much as he complains about those, the liberal media and its godless dollars, you know, he, sure. he really wanted his movie up there. Yeah, some godless dollars. So there was later a reboot. There was, well, there was a lawsuit between LaHaye and Lalonde. Why are all these Christians named La something? La, LaSalle. Jerry La Jenkins. LaWanda. Uh, and then uh, LaHaye got the rights back and produced his own reboot. This time he was going to do it right. 
he gets a big star. He, Kirk Cameron? Oh, can you imagine a star even bigger than Kirk Cameron? Think. Tony Danza. It is, no. Nicolas Cage. What? Come a, on. A gonzo movie star who will do anything for the right size check. <laughs> he's not He's not a born again, is he? Nicolas Cage? No. And that's the idea. Now that, right. Nick, Nick, now that Nick Cage is headlining this movie, people will see that this is just going to be a regular. And the, the reboot kind of diverges from the books a bit. It's less about the theology and more about action set pieces. So who's backstopping all of this? Like, how, how do you pay Nicolas Cage? Where do you get $100 million or however it's, you Oh, know? it's easy to go I golfing guess. with four guys in outside Orlando and find out yeah. how many of them want to contribute to your, and, and this, again, these books sold 60 million copies. This is not weird, crummy stuff. This is mass culture. Like it's, it's hard to think of another series over that same time period that outsold it. Harry Potter is probably the only one. Are, are these movies so bad they're good? Are they like yeah. things that stoners sit around and watch or are they just so bad they're bad? I think there's the room-style ironic appreciation of them. Nicolas Cage was nominated for a Razzie yeah. for his turn as Buck Williams. Tragically, he lost that year to Kirk Cameron, who had made Saving Christmas the same year. <laughs> <laughs> so how how do uh, how does Battlefield Earth and the right. Scientology fit into this? That's the only real comparison, you know, as far as these badly written books that, uh, that you know, were, were kind of— weird theology in disguise it's really just the battle whatever the battlefield earth series is called battlefield earth but one fi- two three and four but this is 41 percent of them you know, this is imagine battlefield earth in a world where 41 percent of america was scientologist and expected you know xenu to come free their engrams <laughs> in their lifetime every time i leave the house i basically do so with that presumption I, I put my seatbelt on and I'm like, okay, here we go. Back out into the world of, of, of people with. You've got your Xenu as my yeah, co-pilot bumper sticker. Yeah, Xenu's on his way and I'm just <laughs> trying to get to the grocery and back. Xenu, take the wheel. Uh, so really the, the, I don't know, the movie should have done better. But the other thing that happens right around this time, the books come out between 1995 and 2007, which neatly brackets a big sea change in American politics the beginning of the Bush era and kind of the remaking of the GOP. I mean, you know, Reagan, Reagan was a movie star, you know, to, you yeah. know, he, he, um, he mobilized conservative Southerners. Sure. Who but were, who were worried that they were gays in the schools, but he wasn't himself a, a no, Christian. He, I mean, maybe, or, you, you know, know he, yeah. he would say he was, but he was just some Midwestern disciples of Christ kid. Yeah. Um, George W. Bush was our first president who really spoke the language of the evangelical right. He would talk about his low point and the, you know, he would speak generally about the booze and the Coke and the yelling at Laura or whatever it was. And maybe the dates don't quite add up, but he gave his soul to Jesus in prayer and now he's a new man. And that was a huge part of his. Uh, success. I mean, if you recall the 2000 election, that's a guy who needed every vote and about 5,000 votes, accidental Pat Buchanan votes. Right. Um, so it really was the margin of victory and the person who was kind of instrumental in getting the religious right behind George W. Bush was Tim LaHaye. Oh, wow. He had that much uh, sway. Yes. And not because of the left behind books. You he know, already he, was. You know, he didn't write a word of those. Right. Jerry Jenkins wrote all those books and then would send chapters to LaHaye to be like, or, you know, at least said he would send chapters to LaHaye to be like, hey, is the theology good? Am I interpreting 
Isaiah right here. Uh, but yes, LaHaye, by all accounts, is the one who would get Bush in a room with these guys, and he knew, he knew that uh, the Republican field of candidates was full of guys who could not talk the talk. Like if if you put George H.W. Bush in front of these, in, in front of, um, you know, a room of these of these evangelical leaders, and they said, you know, what would you say to uh, to Jesus at the final judgment, you know? Right. They'd ask him how much a quart of milk was. George, <laughs> right. <laughs> no, but George H.W. Bush would actually say, well, you know, I tried to live a good life and, and be the best I could. Uh, and that is absolutely not what these people want to hear. George W. Bush knew you have to say, look, I'm a sinner. Right. Like I, I've had some low moments, but then I found the Lord, you know, and, and, uh, and he was good at that. Uh, and, uh, you know, like a lot of addicts in recovery, probably sincere about it to a great deal. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it was an act. So now you've got someone in the white house who right. was put there by this kind of wing of the Republican Party that believes that trouble in the Middle East um, is not only inevitable, but good. kind of good, you know? And, and circulating lists about, you know, the 20, re- the 20 things we need to see in the Middle East for the end times to be guaranteed, as if they were policy documents. And I'm not saying the Joint Chiefs are circulating these. Although but, but, the, the Air Force guys certainly were. <laughs> you got to think about these Air Force guys. But millions of voters are circulating this. And coincidentally, um, and, and believing very specific things like, hey, Revelation 16 says the Euphrates River has to dry up. And of course, that happens in the Left Behind books. And hey, 200 million demonic horsemen from beyond have to have to blanket the Middle East. And did that well, happen? Well, it happens in the Left Behind books. But did it happen it during not, the invasion? It did not happen correct? during the Bush administration. Oh, I didn't see any demonic horsemen <laughs> in the news. I was worried. But yeah, I mean, you can see the line, the line that some are tempted to draw between the people who helped put Bush in the White House and our subsequent strongly interventionist policy in the Middle East. Well, I remember this happening, and this was the first time that I ever read uh, the uh, read evangelicals being like very vocally supportive of Israel uh, as a, you know, politically they were, they were um, supportive of American support for, you know, financial support and intervention in the Middle East. And it was, it was all new to me thinking of those groups of people as traditionally extremely anti-Semitic, how they made this, how they made this pirouette. Well, they can still be (laughs) anti-Semitic. Right. Uh, so, so this was, I, this was really fascinating to me at the time, and yet it didn't seem to like most apocalyptic prophecies. It didn't, it didn't bear fruit, or or like how do they account? You never saw the guy with the blue turban? No, I mean I kept looking for him. Well, that's why they say twenty fifty. You know, that's enough time for that's enough time for wheels to turn. The head of ISIS did wear a dark turban. <laughs> And that felt very much like, okay, this is it. Here comes ISIS, a new caliphate. But then that didn't pan out either. Um, that was the beginning, I think, of the time when, uh, you know, this wing of evangelical Christianity had flexed enough political muscle just to say, guess what? Like, we can see policy miracles through through imperfect vessels. And, I mean, it's pretty easy to draw the line from there to Trump, yeah, who wins evangelicals in big numbers, despite really not being convincingly sincere or devout on not just any religious issue, but really any any issue whatsoever. And yet, I like that you, you that you couched that in in like mitigating terms. Well, 
I don't know his heart. Yeah, I suppose. Maybe Trump will get raptured tomorrow. I don't know. Sure. But, uh, you know, he's just leaving a giant, badly tailored suit behind. Yeah, to, he gets raptured to rape heaven. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. And none of that stuff, you know, none of that, you know, kind of the gross sexual stuff that we thought evangelicals were turned off by mattered because the Bush years had kind of taught the leaders of the movement, no, what you can really get is policy movement, no matter how much of a dingbat the guy is. Right. Um, we like, we like a story where it turns out. Yes. And the story of Left Behind has a couple interesting turns outs, I think. Uh, I've alluded to this a little bit before, but the books are a big, have been a huge, uh, voice in propagating this idea of pre-millenarian dispensationalist theology. As we all know, all the righteous will be zapped. They'll be disappeared. Their clothes will flutter to the ground. At that point, an antichrist will appear probably from you know, somewhere kind of papist. You you would think that the thrift stores would be super cool after this, except all those people oh, yeah. are wearing like old Navy and Gap. What no, if some of them are wearing like, what if some of them are actually wearing cool old clothes? None of the people with cool clothes are going to go to heaven. That's just, it almost goes. A lo- okay. A lot of dockers are going to be lying on the ground. Yeah. But what if a lot of grandpas are just leaving behind cool old stuff? But it's- those guys all wore JCPenney suits, you know, like, <laughs> like I bet you, one in 100,000 Brooks Brothers suit wearers is actually going to heaven. So you're just thinking how this affects Value Village. How it affects my particular interest in in a certain rack at Value Village. So yeah. you've got this whole time frame that uh, that evangelicals make charts about, you know, rapture, seven, you know, seven years of tribulation, then these 20 things happen in the Middle East, then in the Valley of Megiddo. And this is all treated as, as a biblical fact. In fact, dispensationalism is considered to be either s- somewhere between speculative or heretical by almost all Christian uh, uh, sects. And spe- Catholics, spe- Orthodox, spe- Methodists, Episcopalians, Anglicans, Speculative is, is intrinsically heretical in this context, right? Well, it's, uh, yes. And in some degrees, it's not just heretical because it's speculative. They believe it's heretical because it's non-biblical. The, yeah. the worst thing it can be, not just that they've gone too far, but really, no, the reference to people being caught up to meet Jesus in the air is not any kind of rapture. Honestly, it's not, the rapture is not good Christian theology. There's no rapture in the Bible. There, Jesus says that, you know, or there's a prophecy in uh, in Corinthians and Thessalonians about people being caught up to meet Jesus in the air. But, it, you know, that could just be Jesus meeting with the righteous in heaven in some generalized later time period. That's that's actually the official line of most theologians. Uh, the idea that there will be a rapture seven years before a tribulation, actually dispensationalism only goes back to the 19th century. This, oh, this breakaway Anglican dude named John Nelson Darby starts his own— Also a fake name. <laughs> serial killer name. Starts his own uh, outfit called the Plymouth Brethren, and— proposes this idea of dispensationalism, which holds that uh, through different epochs of time, God has had different deals and goals with different eras of humanity. You know, there's the thousand years from Adam to the Tower of Babel, and then there's a different time period up to Noah, and then, and then, and then, and then, with, uh, you know, the, the, the end times and the millennium being the last of these. In fact, that is a minority viewpoint. I mean, it didn't exist before 1880, for one thing. 
And it goes against kind of the mainstream Christian idea of covenant theology, which holds that God has had two or three overarching covenants with his people throughout all of history, you know, a covenant of grace, a covenant of works, and possibly a covenant of redemption. And that it's heretical to hold that he's got different schemes every thousand years. Right. And what happened in the U.S. in the 19th century, you were pointing out that all this stuff tends to get concentrated and weirdified on the frontier. Uh, Fears of religious liberalism and kind of Enlightenment-style rational thinking in the 19th century led uh, a bunch of American writers to embrace Darby's idea of dispensationalism and his charts about what's going to happen on which month when Jesus comes back. Because it seemed like a better option than that everybody's out— Get it, you know, like reading comic books or honestly, I think it's just a, a TED talk. Like people like uh-huh. that it's a hot take with a chart. Uh-huh. You know, because these these things are very when you look at um evangelical literature about the end of the world, it's always got time frames and graphs and yeah, yeah, yeah. and this is the thing from the book of Daniel, and this is the thing from the book of Hosea. And uh, a very influential American study Bible called the Schofield Reference Bible picked up on Darby's dispensationalism and then just immediately sold a generation of uh, American religionists who I don't think had any idea that this was kind of new and possibly heretical stuff. Was it, they sold like an annotated Bible? That, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so the Bible's got the Bible, but then all the study materials are like, this is a reference to the rapture, which will happen seven years before the, you know. Right. Um, and it's in the Bible. So, hey, it's got to be true. And this led to 20th century Christianity where, uh, you know, Billy Graham and again, this this Hal Lindsey guy, the guy with all these world banking conspiracy thoughts about the new world order kind of meshed his conspiracy theorizing with the book of revelation. Why, why is the American Talmud such a wackadoodle document? <laughs> I, maybe because we were, it, we were small enough then that it was still, it could just kind of happen accidentally. Yeah. 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 One influential study Bible accidentally leads to the Iraq invasion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the one turns out about the left behind books is that, I think secular America now largely believes this is what Christians believe. Sure, right. This is this is the literal literal interpretation of the Bible and the craziness of it. It's in a Kirk Cameron movie. It's got to be true. Yeah, is that is that this is what God really is up to, and the rest of us have gotten we've metaphorized it to the point that we no longer. Yeah. But in fact, it's yeah. In fact, almost any theologian or religious body you actually talk to uh, in the Christian world will say, no, this stuff is speculative at best. Right. The other turns out is uh, the fact that the Left Behind books, you know, even though they started to come out in 1995, they have kind of a much older pedigree. In 1973, Tyndall Press, the same press that put out... Christian Archie? Left Behind. No, what was that called? The... Those Christian Archie books are like North Star yeah, Press right. or something. I can't remember. Uh, put out a novel by one Salem Kerbin called Fake. 666, which... That's also, uh, that's also the lyric of an Iron Maiden song. Yes. So, you know, it's a little bit edgy. It begins on a... Yeah, a lot of Danzig fans probably mm-hmm. buying this book accidentally being very disappointed. Uh, this book uh, begins on an airplane where uh, our main character, a reporter, is sitting w- oh. watching the rapture occur. Uh, the main character of both books ha- have a wife who's a Christian 
who gets um, zapped along with their son while he and one of the daughters are left behind. Oh, a lot of lot of plagiarism. The here. daughter goes on to become pregnant, and the baby is endangered due to the Antichrist's schemings. The uh, the pilot in both cases begins reading the Bible, discovers First Corinthians fifteen fifty two to fifty three, and is converted. Begins crying. Um, the uh, in the Left Behind book, uh, the American the the Catholic Church is replaced by this kind of one world apostate church led by an American cardinal. In 666, predictably, there's a brother Bartholomew type who begins to lead a one-world apostate apostate church. Both the books are predicated on these kind of, uh, this John Darby timeline, so they all have the same zipping around the globe to witness prophecy fulfilled kind of thing. Uh, you know, LaHaye claims that his books are absolutely original, but in fact... They are a retread of a book that came out from the same publisher and sold hundreds of thousands of copies to Christian readers. At the time? Yeah, just a decade before. Is this like... Um, he says he got the idea on an airplane flight. But. Is this like when, when Sheryl Crow came out with that song that sounded just like a Ricky Lee Jones song, but <laughs> claimed to have never heard of her? Yeah, yeah. Or George Harrison saying it was just subconscious when oh, he yeah, wrote yeah, My right. Sweet Lord, I guess. So maybe it was just subconscious. Tim LaHaye was on an airplane. He forgot this book he'd read in the 70s. It goes back further than that, though. In 1913, a British author named Sidney Watson wrote, oh. wrote a trilogy of, uh, of books set during the last days uh, called, let's see, there's three of them, In the Twinkling of an Eye. Uh, what are the other two? Anyway, these books tread exactly the same. These are from like, the, these books were written in like turn of the century London. But, uh, you know, again, they cover all the same plot beats. So because these writers are all, you know, cribbing from this one very specific interpretation of the book of Revelation, these books cover a lot of the same ground and they just keep getting written over and over. And it's even better than that. In 1995, the same year that LaHaye and Jenkins published the first Left Behind book and started the snowball of sales, a different evangelical author published a book called Left Behind, which says, uh, you know, as the year 2000 approaches and the rapture draws near, a startling new message for those who will be left behind. It's the same title, the same year, the same premise. Uh, But no airplane? (laughs) Maybe no airplane. It sold 200,000 copies, it says on the it says on the cover. 180,000 of them accidental. People trying to get the other left Pulp behind. Tr- I wonder if that's true. Yeah. I wonder if uh, I wonder if a lot of them came after there was another book called Left Behind. The interesting thing is this book is by Peter and Patty Lalonde. Peter Lalonde is the Lalonde. brother of Paul Lalonde, who would go on to make the movies of the of the real Left Behind book. Oh. So it's just it's just behinds all the way down. Yeah, it's pretty incestuous over there. Apparently there really are only like six guys in dockers just cranking this me- stuff meeting out. in a double tree somewhere and, and changing the face of American culture and politics. Maybe that's evidence of their veracity. The story just keeps getting told. You can't you can't uh modify it because because the narrative just keeps kind of falling back into the hole of truth. Scientology is never gonna catch on because you know the story about the DC tens and the volcanoes is is just a little too a little too weird. It's it, I'm going to be honest. It's limited my own faith. Mor- yeah. Mormonism's got to be held back by the the angel and the golden plates and all of that all of the above. 
there's very uh, there are very few DC-10s still in the air. So it feels like that alone uh, is the inhibiting factor. Do you think that's going to lead to a massive conversion away from Scientology when the last DC-10 is grounded? I feel like that conversion's on. Uh, it's already happening. Uh, and it's just, it's basically a real estate deal. Or a blackmail scheme. And that concludes Left Behind, entry 709.1T0416, certificate number 40618, in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that you have not been raptured, because I'm assuming that most Futurelings are going to be raptured. Think of the depraved souls we're talking to now, who, well, had, who had to stay on Earth through the whole tribulation and armageddon yeah right i I feel like i feel like it's just the it's just the the slimy mushrooms that are still here on earth all the all the fresh mushrooms are gone um you might find uh other like-minded sinners on facebook twitter and instagram at omnibus project at ken jennings um you can email us at the omnibus project at gmail.com through a time portal where you can at least collaborate with me, uh, tried and true died in the wool center. Who knows what's going to happen to Ken? He might ride a gold, golden plate right up to a different heaven where probably a better one where, where, uh, the angel Gabriel is like over here, over here. Mormon heaven smells like tuna casserole. Uh, that's the omnibus project at gmail.com. Maybe I will start reading those emails at that point. Cause Ken will be gone. Uh, you can uh, congregate with other futurelings on Facebook and Reddit and other places, wherever wherever sinners congregate. Um, you can support Omnibus at patreon.com slash omnibusproject. Uh, use your, your filthy lucre to keep this show on the air. And uh, there are lots of other, uh, like, temporal materialistic benefits uh, from doing that. Very little of the sublime, although not not zero sublime. You know, one of the perks, John, for donating to the Patreon is at a sufficiently generous level of support, you can actually suggest a, an omnibus topic and we'll collaboratively settle on a topic and add the topic of your choice to an omnibus. We take requests. And in fact... We should say that it, that it helps if you submit several topics because that gives us a chance to pick the one that feels to us the most akin. That's true. And Andrew suggested three topics. Here's a little glimpse behind the curtain. Andrew thought it would be either interesting to have an omnibus on lobsters as gourmet food, kind of how the lobster progressed from garbage food to luxury item. Right. Sleazy sea bug to something expensive. The Furby. Yeah. The 90s era uh, uh, chatty stuffed animal thing. I see why he wanted that. Or left behind. All right. So he, this, uh, this entry was a result of, of, uh, Andrew's support of the show. And I, I liked left behind and all these are very plausible omnibuses. Invariably we find that the, the donors really understand the, the corpus of the show. Yes. Uh, but I liked left behind and Furby because they were nineties topics that post date our laser like era of millennial focus. Uh, and I thought Left Behind was a good was a good addition for Shizzle. Yeah, that's what I said as soon as I saw that 
email I said for shizzle. And you can mail us things at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. I'm looking at the mail right now. Uh, what do you got over there? Colin Rafferty, who says after the fact that he was the one who sent us the postcard of Roald Amundsen's aircraft that we couldn't read the writing on. Oh. Uh, he typed this one? <laughs> he, he knows what he's doing. Well, he also sent us two copies of his new book called Execute the Office, uh, which it appears to be an essay of a different format about every U.S. president in order. Here's, oh. here's a death song for Andrew Jackson. Oh, so it's like a it's like an art happening. He does he does yes. an interpretive dance for William Henry Harrison. Assassin's Bullet about William McKinley is. Um, it's like the thirty three and a third books. It does, except there's not one per president. Oh, I thought that was the point. One per president. Sorry, oh. but there wouldn't be one book per president. Oh, I that see. would be the like forty five and a third series. Letter from Oxford. So the Bill Clinton one is in is an epistolary form, perhaps. Um, George W. Bush is is in five categories, as if maybe relating to hurricanes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, thank you so much, Colin. Uh, we will check out "Execute the Office," your new book of uh, hold, hold presidential that up for me to essays. See. The cover is a little bewildering. Yeah, You'd think it would be a melange of different presidential faces, but it appears to be just George Washington's face and a dog with a cow and a wolf. Maybe. Oh. What do you think? Is that a is that a dog? I think it is, you're right, it's a wolf, George Washington's eye, and a cow. Yeah. Confusing. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Colin. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long it will be before the rapture comes, presumably either before or after 2050. We're not clear. We hope and pray that that catastrophe may never come. We're certainly not using it as a pretext to get involved in land wars in the Middle East. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus 